This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah! Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah! But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This week, we're considering feedback for Season 1, Episode 7, Mysteries and Martyrs. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, Aaron. I hear we have some feedback this week. We do have some feedback. Uh, a lot of people, increasing number of people are taking us up on the offer of sending feedback to foundation at baldmove.com. And uh, we got a, a. A buttload. OK, I'm not sure if that's that that metric is one the foundation would choose to codify uh, along with their base base 10 counting systems and their sun dials. But, you know, I, I, I mean, hope they the, the benefit of the buttload. <laughs> the benefit of clones is that there are plenty of butts to go around. You've got unlimited numbers of butts. And yeah, if you wanted to fill them and measure, you probably could. They're identical. It's, it's as good as a gram, right? It's as good as the, the universal measurement. The, the, what, they keep the gram somewhere in a mountain somewhere? I'm sure they keep a Cleon butthole somewhere in a mountain filled with silver. And that's the measurement. Uh, complicated. Complicating the matter, though, is uh, we're talking about imperial buttloads. These are not metric. These wouldn't be metric oh, buttloads. Well, they would definitely no be imperial, then. so I, I don't know. I don't know how many, many butts and loads there are. Uh, but yeah, foundation of com. Of course, uh, like we did last week, and uh, what we're doing now, um, that we've got the feedback episode, um, or we're releasing the main episode before or at the same time that the episode drops, uh, is going back and, and viewing or listening to the official podcast and kind of uh, catching people up uh, on some of the new nuggets of information. Uh, so yeah, let's do the, the conception inception <laughs> once again. Uh, did you have any thoughts that came out of the official podcast that you thought were interesting? I, I jotted down a couple. Uh, nothing that stood out to me as like super interesting. I, I, I kind of background listened to it. I mean, that's how people do podcasts, right? So sure. I was playing games while I was doing it. So I might have missed a thing or two. I'm a weirdo. I said, well, I'm not a weirdo. I'm just a, I, I sit down here with a, a Google Doc and I'm like, I just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm jotting stuff. Wow. Down. OK. Um, here's the thing. Uh, I wonder if they saw a different cut or like there were some last minute changes because some of the things they talked about on the podcast I did not ring like they were things from the episode that they were watching. And I'm going to mm. actually going to like at the, at the very end of this podcast, I got like a semi spoilery section that I want to talk about stuff. That's like lightly from the books and also some of the stuff that they talked about in the official podcast. But for example, you know, one of the things that mystified us is the idea that this Invictus, this uh, dreadnought thing that's been abandoned in space. It's been just randomly jumping how the hell can humans be on that ship and experience jumps without their ma- minds being bent and twisted and go insane? Because we know that mm-hmm. that's what you know, the spacers are there for, right? Uh, David and uh, Jason mentioned something that uh, 
that this uses an alternate drive system. You know, this is a ship that's a thousand years in the past. Um, yeah. I guess the spacers is a, is a, is a new phenomenon, the new jump, jump driver, jump drive, but it uses some kind of alternate jump drive technology that does not require spacers. In fact, Jason cited that there is a, a dialogue by Lewis, the foundation director that they shanghaied to kind of, uh, you know, fix their boat to, to make it go. Um, he says that you don't plot, they, they, they mentioned that you don't plot courses in like a scientific kind of way that like the navigators would collectively wish for a destination. And Goyer talked about how there's a little bit of like uncertainty theory um, that, you know, that, that uh, essentially you are, I don't know, like guiding it between the multiverse to, and, and making the ship. There's a little almost mysticism to it. The problem is. I'm like, fuck, I, I watched the show twice, <laughs> took notes on the second one, pausing, you know, to get like, I don't remember, like, how the fuck did I miss that? I went and watched all the Invicta scenes again, and maybe mm-hmm. I missed it again. I did not see that dialogue. Oh, no, so you, have to, if it, you, you have to go watch the Dune movie, right? That's why they need the spice. Is that is that, am I wrong? <laughs> OK, maybe the wrong universe. Yeah. Uh, it might be the right universe. It's just 10,000, you know, this is, uh, sure. 10,000 years, uh, in, in its past. I, but I, I, I thought that was wild, um, with that and some of the other stuff that he talked about a very specific concept that, um, clearly the books are going to get up to early, but like, I, like, I feel like the stuff they talked about in the, some of the podcast, the official podcast is, is, uh, uh, precognition. Um, so I thought that yeah, was weird. Now that you mentioned like, it, like one of the things that they talked about also is clones being sterile. And I, I think, yeah, I don't think that's been in the show. Well, that's what something that they, that, that, uh, Goyer said that like, I'm not sure we've established this, but in his mind, okay. that, yeah, all the clones, it's Jurassic park style. And, and that, that made sense. Cause he talked about how, you know, an heir would be mm-hmm. was something that every other dynasty is always like, you know, got to have, got to have an heir, right, got to have an right. heir. It's actually flipped on its end that if you had an heir, it would be a threat to the genetic dynasty, you mm-hmm. know, because you'd have a succession problem. So that's an interesting and that, that makes a lot of sense. It um, does. On the other hand, we have a lot of people giving feedback about maybe some clone babies because of the clone the the clone sex we had in the in, in this episode so the thing yeah. is these clones are supposed to be sterile yeah. jeff gold goldblum is over in the corner saying life finds a way and we've sure. got a an emperor dawn who is colorblind he laces his thumbs wrong maybe his testicles work <laughs> yeah yeah he got spliced with frog dna they, the the cloners are real sloppy that day uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I thought that was interesting. And again, there's a, a couple other tidbits that I'll save to the end of the podcast to talk about. But yeah. And, and, and um, I, I know that like when we watch our that's the other thing is like I we watch the screeners and there's always a uh, um, a a cautionary statement that like, you know, these are not final things that some minor things could change dialogue, special True. effects, editing, that kind of thing. So like. I actually went and watched the public release to see like, well, shit, maybe there's a 15 second dialogue from Lewis here. No. Hmm. So I assume they recorded all these things like up front and maybe they got some things confused again. These aren't like, like big, like, Oh my God, you've ruined the show kind of spoilers. But, uh, um, I'm going to be looking when we watch an episode eight, if, if Lewis has a little bit of dialogue, uh, right. That, that, uh, uh, Mr. Concepcion, uh, precog for us, but we'll see. 
uh, yeah, the clones being sterile and uh, this alternate jump drive technology is the only thing that I, I, I got out of the podcast that uh, seems directly germane to the topics we're discussing. Mm-hmm. So, again, let's move on to the feedback. Foundation at baldmove.com is how you send this feedback. Let's get to it. Richard R. says, there's a point I want to bring towards you to for consideration, especially when you're discussing Dimmerzel. One of you has postulated there could be an evil Demerzel, and she's not acting in the best interest of the Empire. I believe you're fundamentally wrong, but also correct. So this is like, I know this has come up a little bit um, in earlier podcasts, this like three laws of robotics, but it's been a couple mm-hmm. weeks, and uh, also our show keeps on growing, which by the way, thank you very much for everyone's taking the time to like and rate and review our podcasts. Um, yeah. I, I saw a lot of people sh- on the, the subreddit sharing our uh, David S. Goyer interview. Um, our audiences just keeps building week over week, which is which is great. We love to see that growth. Um, and it's also really cool. I noticed that the uh, the 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 mods of the subreddit uh, Foundation TV list our podcast as one of the the podcasts for the show in the side info bar. Nice. And they run an they run a official subreddit one, so they don't have to do that. We're competition, but I think that's really cool that they do. So mm-hmm. uh, thanks to everyone in the community taking an opportunity to 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 get us bigger but because of that i'm like shit our audience might be we might have 50 percent new people who haven't heard this discussion before so let's let richard richard break down the laws of robotics for us uh, i believe you're correct that dimmerzel is not always acting in the best interest of the empire but she's not evil the nature of being a robot a robot in the universe created by isaac asimov uh she's not evil she's just a, a robot in asimov's universe uh, so the three laws of robotics are a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. That's the first law of robotics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're kind of like in in a, a particular order Two, a robot must obey the orders given to it by humans, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. He continues, Asimov in his time began to grapple with the restrictions this placed on not only his stories, but going forward in real life as robots started to take shape. He made an appendix to the laws in one of his later books, Foundation and Earth. No machine may harm humanity or through inaction allow humanity to come to harm. He referred to this as the zeroth law of robotics. I believe Demerzel is guided and constrained by the zeroth law of robotics. So Demerzel will guide and support these actions, which he believes best guide all of humanity which might come into conflict with decisions of empire. The thing that I've always hastened to note is these are from the robots understanding, you know, like I don't think there's a universal scientific way to determine what is best for humans in a general fucking sense. And clearly if there is, that wouldn't necessarily what's, be what's good for the individuals necessarily well well, i i have something to tell you uh about this show they have discovered actually a way to determine what's best for humanity in the long term scientifically it's called psychohistory does that mean dimmerzel could be working toward the goals of psychohistory or uh, psychohistory doesn't have goals the same way evolution doesn't have goals it's just harry selvin has a goal is is his goal of reducing the amount of time that humans are going to spend in the, the space dark ages. Is that something Dimmerzel's on board with now? I don't know. 
I think it's interesting that they're showing that Demerzel is a follower of a religion. Yes. Because especially when they are showing that Harry has kind of modified or grown or encouraged, nudged in some myth making on his own. It shows mm-hmm. that if she's susceptible to believe in one religion and psychohistory is broadly speaking, because that's the thing. You mentioned uh, that there is a scientific and it, and it's it's all very true. However, there's only one man in the whole fucking universe that fully understands it and has yeah. worked out the equation. The and he's prophet, fucking dead. The prophet of psychohistory, right. right? Yeah, like right. totally. You can frame these uh, things in religious terms, certainly. But that's I, I feel like that's half the reason they made Demerzel a luminance follower is to kind of show that. Yeah, she is going to be susceptible to to these type of arguments. Um, and again, it's all in the eye of the robot. So like that doesn't mean that like if the robot is acting in its sincere belief as a rational, you know, it's, it doesn't have like internal biases and flaws the way that humans might. Mm-hmm. Um, but still it's not, they're not perfect. They're not perfect. They, they can't perfectly predict the future. They don't know all outcomes. So there's still a lot of wiggle room for like robots to, you know, get things horrifyingly wrong or, you know, I've, sure. I've read a, a, I think we both read a, a novella what postulates a supreme intellect interpreting these rules to essentially put all of humanity to essentially upload all of humanity's consciousness into its own database, destroy the material universe, and then let us all live out in this kind of like metaverse where we're all hermetically sealed and we can't really experience true death and mm-hmm. all this kind of like, is that like, are, are we even fucking humans anymore at that point? So there's yeah, lots of cool sci- sci-fi stuff you can play around with, even if you are like slavishly following the the laws of robotics, like a robot would. You know? Sure. So so I guess my question is, you know, when we're talking about clones, we talk about life finds a way, right? We talk about hey, uh, something's changing in these clones. Why? Well, let me let me first ask you, like, do you think that the show could play around with that in robots? That the artificial intelligence here could grow beyond its strict programming and come up with its own independent, uh, you know, motivations. I think so. I think, think so in this, yeah, in this universe it, constructed under Asimov's rules. Cause I tend to think, <sighs> no, I, I tend to think like if you stray too far or really at all from those rules, it ceases to become an Isaac Asimov. Uh, okay. But uh, you're right. But like, let's say that Demerzel as a robot, let's say she's existed for 10,000 years. I don't know if that's true uh-huh. or not. I'm, I'm not familiar with the prequels and sequels and stuff that kind of uh, establish the, the robot line into foundation, but let's say she's 10,000 years old. Yeah. What if she wasn't a luminance member like 5,000 years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd ask her what is best for humanity right now, she might give an answer. She converts to luminism. Mm-hmm. Will she still give the same answer? And it's not like her programming has joined her has has grown or expanded, but her meta knowledge of the universe and how she interprets it has changed. Yeah, I I guess what I'm saying is, like, can she break free of whatever rules are in place here? Like, could she turn evil? Is it is it possible in this universe for her to work against the benefits of or the the. uh, The good of humanity, I guess. I don't know, because like, what, let's say, what if Dimmercell converted to evangelical Christianity? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
is it possible that she would see that the, the what's greater good for humanity is for everyone to accept yeah, the I, personal truth of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and maybe the sure. ones that don't should be put to the sword, or still you know, thinking maybe you that she's doing the, the best. Yeah. Ex- no, exactly, I, I, exactly. I agree. Like, yes, there are ways to interpret what is best for humanity that could ultimately have a negative outcome for humanity. I, I certainly agree with that, and I think that's well within the wheelhouse of the show. What I'm asking is, could she intentionally? Could she? Could oh, these okay. rules be subverted no. by new awakenings of consciousness within this artificial intelligence that then cause her to act intentionally against humanity's good? So intentionally, that's that's such a loaded word because. You know, if she thinks everyone has an immortal soul and that's the most important thing about being a human, then she might take individual action against people who are clones or maybe sure. robots. Or, so you're you know, saying so it'd be like, hard to tell the difference it's that's the thing there's just so much i mean like so many of uh, asimov robot stories are just like how these laws interact and 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 bounce off each other in surprising ways now there's i I will say that i don't i'm not aware of asimov having like a crazy uh maniacal robot you know like Uh i i don't think they go around like you know the joker you know like uh the life is meaningless and the the law is no longer you know like i i think she's when she says that like her pro, but that's the other thing is like what she said in this episode is really interesting, right? Because she says my programming, if I acted in a way that was against the empire, it would physically incapacitate me from taking action. Okay, mm-hmm. is that something that supersedes the laws of robotics? Is it subordinate to the laws of robotics, um, or is it one in the same? And and what is it? And what does it mean? Like, does that mean that she can't take action against an individual empire? Let's say that Cleon. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the uh, brother darkness, you know, fucking brought a machine gun to the cloning tank and was about to start, you know, going predator jungle mowing uh, on it. Like what, what would she do? Would she kill empire there, even though she's loyal to empire or is she loyal to the concept? That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. What does it even mean to take conscious action to do something against your programming? Yeah. Uh that's the thing essentially what i'm asking is can she change her programming like i i think it's foolish of us as human beings to think if we uh, create an artificial intelligence that we programmed with certain rules that it couldn't get given enough latitude that it couldn't break out of those cycles of, of those programmed yeah. behaviors um yeah. and in fact we probably would want it to in a lot of situations to learn um and sure. change and grow and not giving it that ability stifles the thing right and and limits it to our imaginations and our intelligence and speed and things like that. Whereas if you give the system an ability to learn on its own and change its own programming, it it'll almost certainly break out of any rules you try and impose on it at the beginning. Right. Okay. So let's, let's try to bring this around because now I think I got your terminology. Okay. Um, Let's say that her programming is static, that she cannot change her programming. She can certainly change, you know, the inputs and outputs. This kind of like dovetails into the psychohistory conversation, right? That we say that you can't predict an individual, but you can use an individual to essentially change a variable on the board that then will change the masses of humanity. Like Demerzel's programming is set. But if she learns something new about the universe, about like the nature, let's say that uh, Demerzel originally was programmed that you can't let humans come to harm. But she thought the humans were immortal, not like like, you know, as long as they were fed and and cared for that, they'd live forever. And then she learned that, like, oh, humans actually die somewhere between 70, 90 years old. 
that would probably change how she interprets those laws, but the programming didn't change. Gotcha. So I guess that's what I'm saying is like is is converting to luminance mm-hmm. or converting to a, 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 a being a disciple of Harry. Is that her changing programming or is that just her slotting different values into different uh, variables? Yeah, I think it's and, the latter for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so, too. I don't think I, they're going to take I, the liberties of saying she can change her own core rules because if she can do that then she can you know it's like data turning off his emotion chip or his ethical chip or his empathy yeah. chip or whatever it just, like it, it wouldn't make just, it an asimov thing right it'd make it yeah, just a robot yeah. story yeah which yeah if you can if you can you can turn off the, the first law of robotics then fuck you know you got a, you got a lot you got some problems so <laughs> right okay let us move on to matt who says i'm curious about your thoughts on the turchin stuff so this is the 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 pine beetle ecologist that we briefly mentioned in our david s goyer interview this guy who converted from ecology to uh essentially harry selden jr thinking that uh there's key performance indicators of civilization you can tell when upheaval is about to happen and when stability is about to happen and spoiler alert he thinks we've got some upheaval ahead of us uh, he says, while I understand the concept of psychohistory is central to the foundation in the show, uh, and at least at the very least, uh, a big MacGuffin, I feel like how exactly it works and why has not been explored as much as I'd like. For example, I know the show mentions stagnation as an enemy, but beyond that, how is Harry able to see this galaxy moving uh, tectonic forces? What elements lead to destruction and what elements or virtues lead to prosperity? In our own society, obvious destructive forces are things like anti-science or anti-intellectualism, uh, growing nationalism, a lack of resources, etc. It'd be great if the show explored some of these warring forces more. Um, what do you think about that? Because m- the thing that strikes me when I read this uh, comment by Matt is stagnation is still a problem there. Because like, if your society sees uh, pernicious attitude like nationalism or it's dealing with a shortage of resources but your leadership can never be changed no matter what you do Mm -hmm. what incentive is there to fix that versus try to juke the stats you know and make it make yourself look good you know yeah um because that was Harry's whole point is like the, the not only is the universe going to hell in a handbasket, but the leadership is frozen and paralyzed in a unique way to not be able to respond to those ch- changes and pressures. And and uh, right. I imagine if you're Goyer and you listen to this, he's like, hey, I got eight seasons, man. Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> got, like, you, like, yeah. If you look at the book. Uh, that first book where they set up psychohistory, they don't say anything about any of this, right? It's just right. Take it for fucking granted. Psychohistory is real. It works. It's accurate. It, maybe in later books, they get to stuff where it's not accurate around the edges or something. And they explain this more in depth, but it, as, as the setup of those books go, you're just supposed to believe that, it, that Harry has this psychic like ability to predict the future through psychohistory. And it's true. It's accurate. And I think that that's um, again, I've only read the the first three books in a cycle, but like I think part of the pleasure for me of reading this was like the moments Asimov installs instills doubt like, well, how could Harry have anticipated this or this is something that he couldn't like? How do you how do you anticipate the unanticipatable? 
Like, mm-hmm. how do you does something truly like like a let, let's the say there's something crazy like a like an extra galactic empire mm-hmm. who has been burning towards the the fucking Milky Way galaxy for the last billion years uh, with a massive war fleet or something. It's going to hit yeah. the rim and just take over everything. It's 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 fucking crazy. How would you anticipate that? Uh, what kind of flexibility and what kind of plans within plans? Like, remember, Goyer saying that this is a thousand year chess match between Harry and the genetic dynasty as personified, you know, by the empire and all this, like, how do you think that many, you know, uh, moves ahead, like a, a chess grandmaster. And like, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but that's the whole point of the books. And mm-hmm. they, that's, that's a, the, a lot of the pleasure is like, ah, shit, Harry surely didn't account for this, but he did. Or right. some people insisting that that you, you got the, the my understanding of psycho history is we follow the plan this way, actually being, you know, impediments to people who are a little bit more liberal about how they see psycho history and whether it needs to be is, is was the plan like unchanging and fixed or is the plan always intended to be dynamic and you have to keep nudging and keep that that's that, that's a big part of the first book if i recall that there's a kind of war between like different branches of the foundation mm-hmm. about which of that is the way to go so yeah and you're seeing that in lewis and and uh you know clark peterson's uh character and his wife and uh yeah you're you're seeing all that stuff play out in the the show too and i i think that's interesting and exciting it it, it I, i'm looking forward to getting more into the story of what I know is coming in the first book, because it does do a little bit of that. And yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. You know, what, what kind of fail safes are in place? What, how, how do you design a plan that is meant to fail gracefully when it does fail? Right. Right. And, and fail in ways that then reinforce itself. Um, and, right. and, and yeah, it, it's weird. It's like this uh, fractal, prediction that once you get past the first layer of predictions you end up underneath and another layer of predictions that is all part of the plan even if it wasn't initially it's and i know if you haven't read the books you're like what the fuck are you because like you got to realize that we're not even through the first crisis (laughs) like you know and the first crisis is like the first aha moments you have in the book like honestly they essentially introduce the concept of psycho history and then are doing the things that the books never bothered to, which is like create characters that you give a shit about that have kind of interesting and exciting, like dynamic situations that they react to. Mm-hmm. Like the book was very much just kind of like just so, just so, just so, but you got to yeah. the really intellectually stimulating thing. So like, I think what we're going to, I think what the show will probably feel like is two or three kind of like mind blowing concepts per season. And then a sci-fi drama on top of that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, that, that's the Sabo round that delivers the mind blowing stuff to, to your cranium. Yeah. I think uh, I read, um, the third, not necessarily looking at like getting through this in any linear kind of way. Like we thought they were when we first heard eight sure. seasons, right? Eight seasons, eight, right, eight books, right. seven books, whatever it is. Yeah, that's yeah, about yeah. a book a season. No, no, it's going to be much more, uh, time on every book. Especially since if you if you missed our Gory interview, he mentions that he's got some kind of tantalizing inside information from uh, Asimov's descendants and from Mm -hmm. maybe some, I don't know, like notes or stuff that he left behind. He's got where he thought I think that he's got an idea of where Asimov was going because this is an this is this was not a finished series, you know, like with a period and like, that's it. That cycle is he never got through the full thousand year collapse period. Right. 
Uh, so like, yeah, that blows. Like, you know, we like we were kind of deciding, well, if you had seven books and eight seasons and you just take that and you put it could be like material from five of the books and then a book and a half of like new stuff. We we don't really know. So mm-hmm. uh, let's move on to Neil. I was listening to your discussion of using ecology to predict human behavior versus the beetle guy. Reminded me of two types of chaos summed up in the book Sapiens, which I know Aaron has read. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's two main classifications of chaos. First order chaos doesn't respond to predictions. The example that is frequently given is the weather. If you predict the weather to some level of accuracy, that prediction will hold because the weather doesn't adjust based on your predictions. Second order chaos is infinitely less predictable because it does respond to prediction. Examples of this include things like stock market and politics. Basically, the first kind of chaos you can apply science to and end up with predictable behavior within limits, even if the phenomenon is chaotic. But the second type is extremely resistant to this when the results of predictions are available to others to respond to. Hmm. Yeah, that is a big part of the book. Like if a population, you know, we, we talked about this, like when someone says just, hey, do you know, act natural? You, you do anything but you <laughs> right. do anything but. And the galactic population as a whole, you know, uh, respond like if, if Harry predicts doom, like there's a little bit of like the tail wagging the dog here. Ter- uh, Harry predicts doom and gloom and that people believe him. Doom and gloom is probably going to happen. Uh, but it's it's not that simple. Like, you know, like I said, mm-hmm. every, everything in the books, it's just, it's it's never that simple. Um, so but yeah, that's uh, some good reminders. Zoe uh, has some thoughts about psychology versus psychohistory. As humans, we are constantly predicting the behavior of others with varying degrees of success. The sources of psychohistory and game theory can make good guesses about human behavior. And I believe that some more sophisticated versions of these is what Harry is using when predicting the behavior of individuals in smaller groups, like the colonists on Terminus. As the size of the group increases to civilization levels, psychohistory becomes a useful tool uh, and the predictions become increasingly reliable until a certain point mathematical near certainty is achieved. What I enjoy about the show is the unpredictability of not understanding the math and therefore not knowing how reliable Harry's predictions will be. I see the thousand years of the foundation as a bottleneck for psychohistory, a time when the behavior of relatively small numbers of individuals become critical and the math of psychohistory partially breaks down. This is why it's important to Harry that some version of himself, as well as Gale and Raish and Redacted for Spoilers, which we'll talk about at the end of the podcast, is there to shepherd the galaxy through this precarious time. Um, I mean, yeah, this is the thing we keep on harping on about the psycho history versus the individual is like, you know, as Zoe points out here, we haven't lost any of the other branches of science. You know, you can reasonably deduce how individuals will behave. You can't be certain, but it, it's not like, uh, you know, they've forgotten psychology and uh, as like the, the marketing guy sent in last week, the concepts of marketing where like, you know, if you'd send out a certain message, it's going to increase people's buying habits by one and a half percent, you know, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes that's all you need. You don't need one person to go blow up the star bridge. You need to create a circumstance that makes it almost uh, a certainty that one person will, you know, there's yeah. a difference, right? Sure. Put a little animation on those loot boxes, polish them up. You can guarantee X number of people will click it. That's ex- that's exactly right. Exactly right. So uh, I appreciate this because, like I said, I think this is that's this is stuff that really throws people because um, it's kind of weird because this show is deeper than a lot of shows. And that like, you know, when they say things like you can't predict individual behavior, 
I think some people see that as like some kind of like universal rule or like, oh, well, anytime we're dealing with individuals, then they can't be predicted. That's not even true in our world. So sure. Um, yeah. We're going to we're going to go. We're, we're about to consider some alternative theories to the popular uh, Gale plus race equals Salvor. Uh, hmm. And we will do that right after this break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, let's move on to Brian. From the beginning, everyone has been on board with the Salvor being Raish and Gail's daughter, but I always thought it was a bit too on the nose. I'm seeing Salvor as more as being the other pregnant uh, lady's kid. I always felt they gave her a lot of screen time just to not revisit. And a baby born in space and those conditions would be an outlier. We saw the mom made it to Terminus as part of the landing party. And another thing, although this may be just director style, we also see the vision Salvor has of a kid running through the library. We assume it's Raish, but why from that perspective? It looks to me like it's the perspective of Harry Selden chasing him through the library. Because why I think Harry is the father... Mm-hmm. Why the engineer doesn't tell him and brushes him off. Why she refers to the child inside her as a her and calls him uh, first uh, Dr. Selden and then Harry Selden. Um, so this would also explain why the null field and why it doesn't affect her as she shares Selden's DNA or maybe it's just a radiation that made her different. Either way, this is where my head is with this. Um, okay. This so so like essentially uh harry just shacks up with one of his rando followers and and mm-hmm. father's children um, that's very cult leader like i would say yeah <laughs> yeah it is little uh david koreshian yeah um yeah I, I don't know like um at some point you've got the leading theory and then it either is proven true or or false and I know that there's some people like, well, I can't, you know, the more as a season goes on, the more signs point to something happening. But like, that's how stories work. You know, it could mm-hmm. be that they're leading us up to subvert, which would be cool. But it's also could be that they're just telling the story. And this is part of the Martin three step reveal where we're at the end and everybody gets on board and like, this is where we're going. So I don't know. Is there any I'm trying to think if there's any obvious problems with Harry, because because the one thing that he's got going here that I 100 percent agree with is it's weird that that other space lady in the foundation, they did give a lot of time mm-hmm. talking about, you know, Hey, there's the, the dangers of zygotes and all the shit that can happen. And you really should put it into the zygote bank and all that stuff. And then we never see her again. Uh, and I feel like if there was another girl about Salver's age, they would have introduced it as like either a foil or an ally or something. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I think this is totally possible. 
Um, and I can't quite articulate why it feels like everything is adding up to R plus uh, G equals S, but yeah, it, it just feels like it to me. Everything I've seen, um, I, I don't I do know. What you could be right. Yeah, because because like why why did they? Maybe that was just a good way to introduce the idea that there. Maybe that was a red herring that like you introduced this so people uh, like Matt here, or I'm sorry, Brian. Uh, get that association of brain it kind of it's, it's it throws them off and that's what a red herring is supposed to do sure so it can um, also be introducing thinking mutant you know instead of like yeah. oh it's just it could just be introducing the concept of hey the terminus society is not going to have kids the same way you think of of humans having kids like there's a, a biological parent i mean there still would be like biological parents but you know, maybe they're placed with uh, you know the family who volunteers to take a kid, right, or whatever. Um, it could just be like setting up alternative families. I don't yeah. know. Uh, they conclude says I also find it super interesting that Salver took the adoptive mom's last name, but not her dad's. The dad clued us in on this when he said the mom's maiden name when they were taking talking last episode of when he decided to follow Mary Harden to Terminus. Um, hmm. Yeah. But I don't know, because there's also like the kind of like folksy way the dads talk like they might like if I referred to my well, because my wife didn't take my name. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not something that, like I asked her to and she refused. We're just like, nah, it's just dumb to change yeah, your yeah. names. Like, why are, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, however many thousands, tens of thousands of years into the future this is like, I just feel like that stuff. I mean, that's that's literally so patriarchal. Yeah. Like would would luminous followers take the 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 husband's last name or would they like since that looks like it's kind of a matriarchal thing maybe mm-hmm. it's more common to take the like that's just a very arbitrary because lineage and property passed through the male line it was in super important to track that shit and no one gave a shit about the women because you know again right patriarchal system that's very arbitrary when you think about it mm-hmm. uh would that survive was, is this custom Will that custom even survive another 100 years, 200 years? Like, it's becoming increasingly common to do hyphenations or, you know, uh, portmanteaus of of the couple's names and stuff like that. Like, society keeps progressing. I think we'll Uh, all just have single names, like Cher or Aquafina or something, right? We're all going to just, like, boil it down to the essentials. Because, like, once you get past the lineage and the the patriarchy that we've got going what do you need a second name for what do you need it see i feel like that's very tribal like that goes back to like you know when the people was like you sure. know uh thor odin's son mm-hmm. that's not a last name that just means he's odin's son it's thor who is right? he which thor is it it's odin's son oh okay i gotcha like you know when you only, you only had 50 yeah. people that you knew you didn't need last names and stuff like that it's it's more of or you the know, place where you come so, from or something like there was a lot of names around that yeah, so I feel like in a, galac- a, a, a galaxy, there's so many individuals that maybe you go the opposite direction. We have like these <laughs> long names. Spanish aristocrats. Yeah, like, you know, sure. Like Picasso. Picasso has like seven, like, you know, uh, uh, he has like 17 names. It's crazy. Here's it what I think. goes on and on and on and on. We'll have a, a, a similar to the library of Babel. We'll have the library of names and it'll just be a whole series of endless streams of characters uh, up to you know 410 pages in length everybody pick a name for one of these these things we'll assign you 
a digital address and that's your name. And when someone wants to refer to you, they have to look you up in the library of names. <laughs> I'm zero X four nine lowercase e uppercase S. God, can you imagine like how hard it would be to get a, your, a good gamer tag in a universe of eight oh, trillion people? God, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to be the first anything imagine no. imagine anything what what's your favorite cowboys fan <laughs> cowboys Eight. fan with your birthday <laughs> 80 percent nah. of the quantum computing resources are dedicated to coming up with xbox live gamer names <laughs> generating gamer tags mm-hmm. let's move on to peter we're going to start talking about cloning regarding cloning why i'm certainly no biologist my understanding is that it is much more difficult and complex than just making a copy of someone's dna Making a copy of someone is nothing like making a copy of an MP3 file. The idea, idea that DNA is just some static code that defines everything about someone is rather odd and outdated idea. DNA is, in fact, extremely dynamic, and how it's expressed in every person depends a lot on other factors. Even identical twins that grow up in the same environment often have different personalities, interests, and mannerisms that let you tell them apart as you get to know them better. There's an entire field called epigenetics that deals with how these factors affect how your body reads a DNA sequence. Your own health can have a concrete effect on your children's epigenetics and health. For example, uh, uh, see the Dutch hunter hunger, winter famine in the linked article above. He sent me a whole article from the CDC. Um, This is also, if you uh, were a fan of the Watchmen series on HBO, one of its core uh, conceits is that like, you know, stress, and violence can be passed epigenetically. And this makes good mm-hmm. sense that like our, our genes are like a static thing that makes us human. But also there's some flexibility that like, you know, if for whatever reason, uh, uh, the human population goes through periods of like drought or famine or maybe warfare or whatever, that the gen- the descendants kind of have like a slightly, you know, their DNA might be tweaked a little bit towards aggression and and flight and fight responses whereas if you have several generations of peace and plenty maybe your epigenetic uh, selectors uh tend to go to more towards like peace and cooperation right it's this basically sure. kind of like you got your base model human and then you've got the aggressive asshole variant and you've got the you know hippie kumbaya variant yeah it's like uh, and, pugs and, yeah. short noses sure yeah they're sure there are externalities that that <laughs> factor in here here's the thing though about these clones these are not it's hard i think to apply a lot of this stuff to this particular scenario because these Mm -hmm. are not like clones that are cloned off of clones these are all from the direct source right so the dna is about as close to identical as you could get the experience of growing up in the palace is about as identical as you could get clone to clone. It's very manicured. Seemingly intentionally so. Like right. you've got the one never changing nanny slash and, and lover slash advisor. Yeah. Crucially during development, they're in a vat. Like they're not having um well, well I guess right. they are having external experiences, right? Because they're piping them into their heads, um, at least for the backup clones. I don't this know what true. they do about like that's for the backup clones. I don't know what they do about the non backup clones. Right. But the the epigenetics, this is interesting because like a Cleon that gets decanted in the age of the star bridge beginning burnt and, and everybody is panicky or or has a very 
like he's like he he was exposed to fear that's going to affect the next generations because of the VR link that they have. Well, I don't know if like brother Don that's being grown in a vat has a VR link. I don't think he does, right? Which one? Like the 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 fetus Don that's being grown. Oh, but they did. That's what we did notice that the fetuses had that little. We're like, what the fuck did is they that too? box? Okay, yeah, they had a little box in their head. Now I don't know who, what who the are they fuck you in? are beaming. I yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's like basic no stuff. I, I yeah, I I don't know what kind of basing or maybe maybe they just embed that so it grows with the clone and they're not really getting a live feed because you're right like a live feed of the other fetus what the fuck does that even mean but um, <laughs> yeah that would be but weird. it is a way it is a way for these epigenetic things or stressors to accumulate from generation to generation maybe maybe but but i like this because like the there's a weird like self-fulfilling prophecy here too right because as these clones are taken from cleon they're once they're decanted um you know whether you're a copy or whether you're like the first clone of your generation you're exposed to different stimuli so like yeah like you said if you're growing up during a time where the empire is falling apart that's going to instill in you certain responses right no matter how identical you are to the other cleons you've got you've got externalities to deal with so like i would think that you would have clones that would vary in personality, vary in a lot of different ways based on the external stimulus. And it seems like we're already seeing that, not just agenda, but like, I feel like uh, this, this brother day is much different than the brother day before who is now brother dusk. Like they all have slightly, I mean, they're not huge differences, but they definitely, Mm -hmm. they definitely have them. Uh, Peter uh, wraps up with one gripe that you might have the show is that unlike more subtle things like personality, we do know the exact genetic mutations that result in color blindness. So it seemed like that would be easily avoidable if your cloning technology ensured the exact genetic sequence is replicated. But I'm willing to get the show a pass on that one, considering they wanted to provide a more concrete example of how the clones are diverging from the original. I got more thoughts on that. But like Peter says, you know, he's not a biologist. He's not a geneticist. If only we'd have one that would write in. Oh, wait, the next email is by Lab Girl. Uh, let's talk about a favorite topic of mine, genetics. Uh, by the way, why should you listen to me? I'm not an expert in cloning animals, though I know some people who are. I have a doctorate in genetics. I've worked on a human genome project, and I've done functional geno- genomics research to investigate disease for most of my career. Again, yeah. this could be bullshit. This could be a, this could be a, a, a catfish. But, you know, I've had, I, I, this is, I take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to accept her as a doctorate of uh, genetics. Is it really possible that no one knows that Dawn Cleon the 14th is genetically different? Logically, it doesn't make sense that no one would know unless maybe the Empire's scientists are really sloppy. Yeah. Everyone makes a big deal about how Cleons are exact genetic copies. We don't know their cloning process, uh, but we but it is ten thousands, tens of thousands of years in the future. It's only logical that they would sequence the full genome of every clone before decanting them to make sure they didn't occur any mutations in the cloning storage or development process. Sequencing the entire genome of a person is something we can do now in 2021. The whole process from extracting the DNA to analyzing the DNA can take less than a week and can cost well under $1,000. So I assume that in 12,000 to 15,000 years, sequencing the genome of every Cleon would be trivial. My theory is there's no way Dimmerzel doesn't know Dawn is different. She must have known before he is even decanted. 
unless it didn't occur to the showrunners that it'd be super easy to sequence the DNA. My guess is that Dimmerzel explicitly created a genetically modified Cleon, or a mutated one just happened accidentally and she decided it was a good idea to decant it. Um, so she says, let me wildly speculate here. There's this show takes place at least 12 to 15,000 years in the future. At least we discovered the structure of the DNA in the 1950s In 2021, 70 years later, we can read the sequence of the DNA pretty fast and we can synthetically make short stretches of DNA up to several thousand base pairs long. We cannot synthetically generate all the DNA that makes up a person's genome about 3 billion base pairs and use it to clone a person. But in 12 to 15,000 years, I can't imagine that we wouldn't have worked out the technical challenges around synthetically generating an entire genome, especially if we're bending space and time to jump to other parts of the galaxy. Um, so, so, so assuming maybe you wouldn't even need Cleon DNA, you could just make it. If you have the power. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, she also says our personality is primarily dictated by our genes. The honest answer is we don't know exactly how our personalities are formed, but it's probably a good mix of both nature and nurture. Our genes do have an influence, but the level of their influence can be very dependent on the environment. For example, you might have genes that would allow us to be tall if we're, but if we're extremely malnourished as children, we probably won't end up that tall. Another interesting example is the story of a neuroscientist, James Fallon. Dr. Fallon discovered that he had a specific mutation in his gene that is predicated to lead to increased aggression in people. In fact, many of his ancestors, who also likely had this mutation, were murderers. For example, Lizzie Borden is his cousin. She's a famous axe murderer that murdered her family in the late 1800s. But Dr. Fallon isn't a murderer or a violent person. Perhaps he might have had the potential to be a psychopath, but maybe his environment modeled or molded him into someone who isn't. I got a bunch of things to say about this because I think this is fascinating. Yeah. There are many reasons why an emperor's DNA sequence or DNA sequence might not be decoded. Like, for example, we know in this future that AI robots, human level intelligence are not only banned, but we fought a genocidal war against those people. Um, this is something this universe has in common with Dune. Now, over in Dune, it's so extreme that their computers are very basic and limited in power, and they've genetically modified and drug-induced humans that can do incredibly calcul- uh, complex calculations in their head. And they got this spicers high and the spice melange to, to fold space, all that shit, right? Mm-hmm. What if they literally can't do the, 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 some of the calculations that we can do for granted because they've banned computers? I mean, I've seen their statistics team and it's piss poor. (laughs) Right. Right. So like, I mean, so there's, there's political, there's, there's one political, like they could do those calculations, but they've banned it because the cost of having fantastic thinking machines, uh, namely that they go homicidal and decide they want to replace all of humanity with themselves and wipe us all out is greater than the benefit of being able to calculate things complexly and fastly. And they just go like, you know, it's hey, they just don't need it. Also, politically, maybe the empire doesn't want people looking at their DNA for whatever reason. Like it's some kind of like taboo. And they just assume like, well, we're doing the cloning process and the cloning process is pretty much fail foolproof. So we just don't look at it. I mean, I'm just mm. making shit up, right? But what I'm saying is, yeah, yeah. The, the, the we're, only, we're only seven episodes in. 
Right. I, I guess my question would be, well, the, the Empire seems to be the exception to any of those rules, right? They have a machine that can calculate at incredible speeds. It's Dimmerzel. Um, yeah, they have an actual robot still. Secret, right. secret robot. They are examining DNA sequences because you kind of have to to clone. So, like, they are doing these things. I would think if they wanted to do them, or I would think those would be part of the process that wouldn't extend beyond, you know, the walls of the palace. And, and maybe, like, yeah, you wouldn't want the general public having f- super fast computers or whatever, um, if that was your thing. But within the right. palace, they seem to be using all that technology and that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Rules for the not for me for rules for the right. not for me kind of situation. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, and, could be. And like people are like, well, you're just making shit up, Aaron. But like uh-huh. a lot of stuff that we think we know about it was came from like <laughs> one single fucking episode back in episode three. Right. So like, you know, we haven't seen the decantation process. Also. We've seen one part of the process like uh, there's an email I had to cut for time that went on to like, man, I hope we get to see like one darkness shuffling off into the disintegration chamber is interesting. It'd be nice to see three of those sequences because then you could actually Mm -hmm. compare and contrast right now. Dimmerzel has all that information, but we as the audience don't. So there's a lot of stuff. These are all like questions. I, I. I don't think they're contradictions. It could be that like, yeah, the showrunners who are not geneticists and are not scientists and were kind of hampered in their ability to get expert input because of COVID. It could be that they just fucking raw dogged all the science and got some things wrong. But it also could be that like, you know, they have been watching stuff and they have been learning about epigenetics and some of these stuff is like intentional. And also never, ever forget Demerzel could be evil. (laughs) <laughs> and by sure. evil I mean she's working yeah, against yeah, yeah. the empire so she could have made an inbred colorblind cross-eyed wrong thumbed uh-huh. you know three functional testicles Cleon just to wreck everybody's plan so because that's what she thinks humanity needs right an extra testicle is what she thinks humanity needs exactly mm. <laughs> two didn't get the job done three you make the perfect being right uh, speaking of Demerzel, JC says, how is it that the people on Maiden don't know that Demerzel is not human? It seems that she's been in this form for well over 400 years. She seems to have a very public position in Empire, so it's odd that people don't know. You know, I was about to say, look, this is a being that can essentially spray paint her face on. Like, she can just, like, turn herself into a hideous <laughs> obsidian skeleton and just psh, put it on and she's but, but we did see her present over consistently 400 yeah. years ago, 30 years ago. It does seem like it's the same. Uh, it, this this is one of those things I chalk up to. Hey, we're telling a story here. Yeah, you know, it's it's a little artistic license. Um, yes, people in the real world would realize that a fucking vampire hasn't aged or that Clark Kent hasn't aged or that. You know, they, they do this all the fucking time everywhere sure. in fiction. You, you embellish a little bit. So I, I'm not going to hold it against them. I think, yes, that is a a realistic human concern. That is not something I think the show is going to really deal with. Um, or it could be that, again, like, um, I don't I'm, I'm not, that's that's a perfectly acceptable answer. But also, like, you know, we're still early days in the show. It's hard to say what's a plot hole and what's, you know, something that's intentionally supposed to peak up your interest. Like, you know, halfway through uh, season two of Lost, 
you know, there's all kinds of fantastic, like, oh my God, that shark, fuck, man, it had a symbol stamped on its tail. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Well, it turns out it didn't mean shit. Uh, but, but you know, we you didn't know that in the middle, but like, you know, so we could have a shark tail situation here or we should, we could have something that actually pays off. I, we, we, we don't know yet. We just know that the questions and we should be asking them. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, JC says in the scene where day confronts Zephyr Halima, how is it that the pilgrim is able to grab day's hand? Actually, day takes the pilgrim's hand first. So we don't see any evidence of the force field. That's a good question. We know we can, they can turn the force field off. Um, we know that if you go like the slow, the, the slow sex worker gets to touch the chest of the empire. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I don't know. Like if he, if he makes the initiative to take, to touch someone, uh, does it smack their hand? I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how smart these, 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 uh, uh, these auras are. Maybe it works on based on water content. So, like, if he's really dehydrated, he can just reach right through it. I don't know. <laughs> this person no, didn't it's... read as it being a red. They read as a corn chip. And uh, exactly. the Ara saw it as no threat. Yeah. I mean, specifically nacho cheese Doritos are, they yeah. get the green light. They just come right through. Yeah. So, yeah. if they could figure yeah. out how to uh, kill the emperor with a nacho cheese Dorito, they would work. I will say that now I know there's a tank full of days, dawns, and and uh, and dusks waiting to be decanted. Um, the aura is not nearly as important as I thought it was to begin with. Like yes. they don't want days and dawns and dusks just to be killed as a matter of routine. But that's the other thing that we I forgot to mention in the uh, Inception Conception is that they, at least in Goyer's mind, he thinks that this protocol has been used at, at, at least once in the history of the, the Empire, that they've had to pull a clone and hmm. get, get yeah. to, you know, have the chip flash his memory and, and, and uh, get him ready to go. You'd think that'd be a very closely guarded secret. Or maybe not. Maybe it's like, hey, you can't kill us because we've got in, in, impenetrable shields, and also if you figure out how, like, within seconds, I'm right back to life again. Like yeah. I, I, I don't robust know. System. I don't, yeah, and I don't know. Like, is that something that there's is put forth as a matter of pride by the genetic dynasty, or do they go for the mystique of like we're just a single being existing in th- a triune body? Right. And, yeah, it could like be it's that. eternal and unchanging and irresistible. And I, I wanted to say initially that like th- this almost the the force fields with you know. um what we know of the cloning uh, backups and the decantation and all that almost becomes irrelevant. Like why have the force fields at all? Is it just Mm. because it's part of the book? But what the one thing it does do that is interesting is it preserves the individual clones. And in this case, that's important because Dawn is changing. Right. And so decanting another Dawn isn't exactly like decanting another day um, or decanting another dusk at this point. So, that kind of is interesting. Like it allowed him to jump off the tower and still retain the things that make him unique. Right. Um, right. Whereas if he had just jumped off and splattered and they had pulled another clone out of cold storage, he might not have those same mutations. He might not have color yeah. blindness and all this. So it's kind of interesting to keep the shields. Plus, I also wonder what that would do. That's something I think I talked about like two, three weeks ago. It's like when he first jumped out the window or like when, like, so you got this clone. He's got all your memories synchronized. 
but his body's not the same. Like this yeah. goes to the heart of a lot of things we're arguing about in feedback right now, right? What's uh-huh. genetic, what's nature, what's nurture. So like you got a colorblind clone that's had these colorblind experiences <laughs> and then the new dawn comes out, presumably not colorblind. What the fuck does that even right? look like? Thinking he's colorblind? Yeah. Like, um, what did I, I, I feel like I've read some kind of thing to where like, uh, the, the, like if, a, if you took a baby and mm-hmm. blindfolded it at birth and then took that blindfold off when they were like three or four years old, I'm not sure what the right number. And I don't know what the fuck kind of Nazi research went into this, or maybe I'm just coming up something from a science fiction book. But mm-hmm. the idea is that like, even though your eyes are perfectly functional, Like if your brain does not do the visual processing necessary at a certain critical age that it just never it's it's never learned how and you never will that your eyes are perfectly Mm -hmm. functional and sending nerve impulses. But the part of your brain because our brain, our brains do crazy shit with our vision. We see upside down. Yeah, yeah. Because our retinas are upside down. We also see like with a big giant blind spot that would just seamlessly cuts and paste and like fucking Adobe Photoshop retouch tools in live. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that we're not aware of. So like if your visual processing center just doesn't develop, you got fully held. So like it would be wild if the new dawn is a perfect replica and isn't colorblind, but it's colorblind because it doesn't it, it never learn how to distinguish colors or something. I, I, I There's all kinds of cool things you can do with eliminating dawn and replace and to the fact that I, I, I think I just talked myself into I think this dawn is going to die before the end of the season. <laughs> It would be just so they can explore some of that shit. Yeah. What does that look Mm -hmm. like? You know, now you got the perfect clone copy. He's he's piloting a body where his memories are all of lacing his thumbs backwards and seeing a muddy gray mural instead of the big colorful thing. Like, what is that? What's that look like? Yeah, the colorblindness isn't so bad, but like reaching for a glass with the wrong hand could really fuck you up for a while. Or his favorite, their favorite food tastes bitter in his memories. Are you just going to Uh like, oh, yeah, this tastes yummy now. Like, I can't eat barbecue chicken wings because I threw up on I I, I got the flu after a Super Bowl and threw up for like two days after I ate them 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. The taste makes me sick. What what, what, that's like, that's some cool stuff. So, like, they got to kill Brother Dawn just so they can (laughs) explore the space, man. Unless there's something cooler. But yes, I am with you. Uh, okay, let's move on to Nicole B. I'm so fascinated by the differences in interactions between dawn, day, and dusk. In episode one, there's a very deliberate scene between the brothers that portrayed the father-son relationships between them. For example, brother day kindly teaching brother dawn about gifts. Meanwhile, old dawn is now Lee Pace, and he is more short-tempered, disconnected, and irritated with his bros. He has tried to distance himself with the, from the idea of being a clone and neglected uh, new brother day. I find it hard to believe the older Cleons and Demerzel have not caught on to the differences in day unless they simply do not have uh, any care or attention for him the way they previously treated one another. Conspiracy theory. When Old Dusk was headed towards the evaporator, he heard baby uh, day Cleon cry and said something's wrong. Demerzel pushed him forward and sued them. Is it possible day is what's wrong? Demerzel is in on the fact that he is not an exact DNA replica and whatever she may have done uh, was something that she can explain as for the good of the empire. I don't think any line or scene in the show is an accident, so I keep looking for meaning, which can occasionally get you in trouble. But I tend to, yeah, that's the that's the fun way to watch television. That like everything mm-hmm. means something, and not sometimes things. And and that 
like uh, we we talked about this in season one of um uh season one of True Detective, right? There's all these crazy spiral drawings in the children's bedrooms, and we're like, oh, that's got to be some yeah. kind of Yellow King shit. And then the set designers like, no, these are literally just pictures of my kids drew, and I wanted some authentic little kid pictures, and I just hung them up. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes shit just is uh, the way it is. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, do you got any thoughts on? I, it, it seems clear to me now that Brother Dusk slash Darkness was onto something. Yeah. That maybe no other Cleon had cried at this juncture. Something. Um, something. Something that he knew, maybe on an instinctual level. I, that, 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 there's something, something wrong here. And, and, and I'm starting to think that that was a, not an every time thing of Brother Darkness just being afraid to die, but something. Unless this is something like instinctual or some weird psychic clone connection that he's got with Don um, with the baby. I I think Demerzel would have noticed it too, right? Which kind of leads to she's got a perfect memory. Demerzel leads us back to quote unquote evil (laughs) Demerzel or, you know, at least off the off the the script Demerzel. Yeah. Disloyal to the Empire Demerzel. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Demonstrating her loyalty through disloyalty Demerzel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, There you go. (laughs) So I I don't know, man. Um, I'm with you, though. I think something was up there and we have yet to find out exactly what it is. Uh, Last question. Were the backup clones part of the original Cleons plan or is this something the new Cleons put together after Harry's prophecy? What do you think? I assume it was always part of the plan. I mean... Yeah, if yeah. you're if you're uh, trying to create a plan that has fail safes, this seems like a reasonable fail safe. Yeah, I agree. I think it's something that they they started at the very beginning, but uh, we'll see. Next, we have an email about who's really in charge of the empire, which we'll get to right after this short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. JJ's up next. They say the big question concerning the empire is who's really in charge. It's pretty clear that Don and Dusk are not running the empire. It also appears that it's not a committee of three where Don and Dusk could vote to overrule day. So this leaves only day or Demerzel. Obviously day makes the decisions that control the day to day to day operations. However, maybe he's just in control as long as he remains within certain operating parameters. What if the current Don makes 33 with his flaws undetected and moves into the role of day and then announces he's taking Azura as his wife and intends to father children. Mm-hmm. I'm sure sterile empires can use some DNA fertility magic to get a woman pregnant. Can Demerzel stop him? Will the palace guards follow his orders or hers? This is a question we had of like, what if brother darkness just runs in at the, you know, the day before his ascension and just wrecks the cloning facility, right? you know, or, or orders the destruction of it or just orders the disbanding of the, of the genetic dynasty. What do you do? Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll see when we come to that, right? Like if, if yeah, I am curious to see what happens 30 years from now or, or 20 years from now, whatever it is, uh, when yeah, Don ascends today, 
What does that look like? Dude, the thing I've been thinking about a lot since we talked to Goyer is because I didn't think he intended the genetic dynasty to like be the for the whole thousand year, you know, essentially crumbling phase. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how far down are we going to ride this thing? All like in season six, now. all the way down. <laughs> yeah, got to go Westworld when you're talking clones oh, and memory yeah. transfers, right? For sure. <laughs> Uh, I see brother darkness looking down at me and I'm looking right up at him. Uh, you got, you, you got, to, I'm sorry. You got to watch two seasons of Westworld before you get that joke. I'm sorry. It's just the way it works. Um, but yeah, like, are we going to, are they going to be in like fucking mud huts and shit? Like banging coconuts together and you know, like how, how far devolved will this empire get? Like, and yeah. how will they show us that? Like the madness of of Emperor Cleon, like if, if this genetic stuff keeps multiplying, like I think that is interesting to see like all different types of Lee pace, a pace for every season. Um, I think it'll manifest in a lot of wars, right? Um, you'll probably get man, but I just, boy, if the empire, Maybe you'll have to have factions of the Empire that split off, I think, because the Empire seems an sure. insurmountable force, right? With the, just their logistic capabilities alone, with instant tra- uh, travel. Sure. That is such well, a massive advantage. Eventually, like if this is to follow the Roman Empire, eventually you'll get the Western and Eastern. You'll get Byzantium, sure. you know, you'll yeah. get like, and then one gonna will fall to the. And like, will you have two separate genetic dynasties that are both decanted from like the identical source? So you've got the Eastern Cleon, the Western Cleon, like, right. Uh huh. Uh, that's, that's going to be really interesting. Uh, and I'm very excited to see, like, I, uh, God damn, I I really hope this show gets to run. It's full eight. Uh, let's move on to Ari. It's Halloween as I'm writing this, so I figured I'd ask a question I'm somewhat scared to know the answer to. And the question is, do you think enough people know this show exists? No. Recently, there's been an uptick of Dune fever following the release of Denny V's terrific film. As such, one common thing I've heard is any or people wishing they had more. The mass is suddenly wanting more exploration into the ideas of a galactic wide empire, space messiahs that can see the future, interplanetary religious cults threatening holy wars that'll crumble the empire itself. To me, Foundation has all that and then some. Heck, Foundation has like three space messiahs with precog abilities, so take that, Dune. <laughs> Yet, does anyone even know it exists? Even on the ringers, the watch pod, they wondered aloud if the Dune story could have worked as a TV series to flesh out the massive lore, and the entire time I'm like, uh, <laughs> that thing you want already exists and it airs every Friday on Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah. Anecdotally, since the release of Dune, have you guys seen an uptick in traffic to your pod or more talk of Foundation online and on Twitter? Can the young new hip kid in the block Dune capture the current zeitgeist trickle down and help out its dad foundation and gaining some street cred of its own? Uh, these are all good questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been told that Apple is thrilled with how foundation is doing uh, to the to the extent that they they greenlit another very expensive multimillion dollar season. Um, I'm pleased with the way it's going. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I think that this, uh, I had the idea that this show is kind of critically panned or maybe critically mad, but it's like uh, 74% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not terrible. Okay. That's not terrible at all. Three out of four critics agree. Foundation, pretty good. Um, yeah. But it is an Apple TV show. 
I think Apple TV, even though it's starting to grow and gain steam, uh, you know, they like Apple TV was a joke two years ago, like literally right. like what the fuck is this? It's got some weird. It's the morning battle star. Yeah. Like retro space thing. It's got M night Shyamalan doing some creepy short story and thought it's like, what, what? Yeah. Who, who the fuck is watching this to, in my mind, must see television in like, you know, two years, Mm -hmm. but I, I don't know. It's still like one of the smaller, the, the smaller networks, but, um, yeah, I, I do think there is, um, that there are tons of story parallels to Dune. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, and yes, this has not found the huge audience that I think it probably deserves. Um, it's, I wish more people were watching this. I do. And I wish more people were talking about it. You know, I, I think about um, whenever I look at this, um, the best show in my mind ever was the wire. And yeah. it had just a few million people watching it each week on a premium cable network. Yeah. Never got, never got awards, never even really got nominated for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, any major category, but it's still the best show on television and HBO knew it was one of the best shows on television. And because they had a, a reputation for doing something prestige, uh, it's not, it's not television. It's fucking HBO. Mm-hmm. They, they saw fit to produce all five seasons of it. I feel like Apple's kind of like, isn't that Apple's whole deal? Like we're not computers, man. <laughs> we're fucking Max. We're not a PC. <laughs> like they had a whole fucking campaign to work. We're, we're not a goddamn piece. Get that. W- Get that dirty word out of your mouth. We are fucking max. So I think that like it doesn't really matter how many people are watching it as long as it's well regarded and they think it's they think it's cool and they're getting like and also I feel like uh, high end sci fi probably if you look at like educational and like income demographics are quite a bit higher than like you know reality television or something. Not that reality television is lowbrow or shitty. It's just you know um, I, I I don't know I guess. I would only worry if like each year the amount of people talking about this gets lower and lower, mm-hmm. you know, because um, like at the end of Game of Thrones, 100 million people around the world were watching it. But the first season, like around a million people, I think, if I recall correctly, yeah, same thing, as, you know, Breaking Bad, you know, Breaking Bad got bigger and bigger and bigger. On the mm-hmm. other hand, Mad Men never really got out of the low millions in, in audience. And, and so like. I don't I don't know how important it is because Apple has so much fucking money and it's clear to me that people like uh, the people running Apple, Amazon, uh, all the big tech, they're, they're like really see that the streaming stuff is the future. There's a lot of money to be made. And like if you can get dominance in this decade, that's going to pay off for, you know, five decades in the future. If you can be the sure. new CBS of the 21st millennium, holy fucking shit. So I, I I don't know. What do you do? You, do you think? Are you worried a bit? Or uh, I'm. So I think it's a great sign that they renewed for season two before season one was even over. So they're happy with the numbers. They're happy with how it's performing. I think Goyer said that when yep we were talking to him. Um, which makes me hopeful. It, it's a long run though, right? A lot of things can change between now and then. Um, it can get bigger. It can get smaller. It could become the hottest thing on television or get canceled. Who knows? Uh, I kind of want to take it one season at a time. We've got another 
season coming up after this. So I'm looking to see them kind of, you know, step up their game as far as um, the critical reception. And I don't know yeah. what that means. I don't, I don't know if they need to do more traditionally um, interesting things that the critics love uh, or what, or, or go even crazier, um, come, come in with some bigger concepts and really explore those more and leave some of the like actiony stuff off to the side and not do it. I, yeah. I don't know what the formula is here. I just know they've got another season to prove themselves. And, you know, I'm hoping that number on Rotten Tomatoes of like 70 something comes up to like an 80 or a 90 next yeah, season. That would be great. Um, that would be great. And also, as far as the awards, a lot of that's political. Like if you shove mm-hmm. a bunch of money and screeners and, you know, for your considerations out there, you can, I mean, and, and Apple Netflix. is playing that yeah. game. <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, look at what Apple did with like fucking Ted Lasso. Sure. Like it was killing on the Emmys. So I, I think that they they have the team, the talent and the money to to make hay here. Um, and we'll just see like and, and I think that like I, I don't think Dune is in competition. I think that Dune, um, if it is like a mega hit and looks like it is and they're going to make another one, which they've already announced that they will uh, like all mm-hmm. this is this or this is the rising boat or the rising tide that will float everybody's boat. So. Yeah, true. You know, will Foundation be as big as Dune? I don't fucking know, but like, it can't hurt that. I, I'm so glad that Dune didn't flop mm-hmm. because if Dune flopped and people were kind of met on Foundation, I'm like, Jesus, we are going to smother, smother the sci-fi baby in its cradle, <laughs> right? And then you lose the Expanse after its final season, like, right? And then people are like, ah, oh, do we want to, uh, you know, make the other three movies or do it like, ah, oh, science fiction's a risk now. You don't, you don't want to hear that as a sci-fi fan. No, so, no. Yeah. I, I think, I think we're heading to good in good directions. Our podcast has been, uh, uh steadily accumulating listeners. So yeah, that's been nice. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's another nice thing because like if, uh, since we took the leap of faith in the beginning, assuming this show does build an audience and, and, you know, podcasters will come if it gets popular, mm-hmm. you know, we were able to plant our flag here, uh, relatively, I think there's like maybe two other podcasts, not much. Uh, uh, maybe one, like there's one YouTube that Pete guy that, uh, does mm-hmm. uh, it, it gets some decent traffic, but there's not a lot. So it's kind of nice from a podcasting perspective to, to get there first, get, get first on something new. Uh, let's move on to Irish monk. Are you guys expectant for a possible double baby episode next week? One from Gail and Raish and another from brother Don and Azura O'Dealy. <laughs> Even if it doesn't happen in one episode, do you think the genetic dynasty has or could survive a biological heir? I don't think it's possible. I don't, I literally don't think it's possible unless that third testicle comes into play. I, don't that's the thing he's a wild card right so maybe yeah um i feel like i can just i get i just see uh jeff goldblum over in the corner uh pouring mm-hmm. pouring water down laura dern's hand and cackling and saying life finds a way like yep. <laughs> he's got three testicles he's got the super sperm <laughs> it's gonna happen uh <laughs> it's just gonna happen we'll see it's gonna happen um Let's move on to Renee from Yosemite. My question is about the Terminus culture when we meet them. Why do the children have separate strong accents rather than one or more homogen or one more homogenized when they speak? It's not ruining my enjoyment whatsoever, but I found it curious that perhaps it was overlooked. Um, that's a good question. And 
I think it probably has to de- do with the fact that, uh, you know, like they said, they only had so many kids uh, that were available and the locations they had for filming and they wanted to have a diverse class. So it's like probably hard to find a homogenized accent list um, if, if you're, you know, you're 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 judging for uh, their acting ability and looking mm-hmm. like a diverse slice of humanity, like maybe you, you give. But like, you're right. Like, even if you're if you if you argue that, like, the parents all had strong accents. And as far as I know, most of these people are from Trantor. So like, uh-huh. I'm not sure you, but would that's have... like saying most of these people are from earth. <laughs> uh, well, but is it, or is it like saying most of these people are from Manhattan because to me, it's, yeah, I'm not Trantor sure is that. like Washington DC or Manhattan and well, less we saw the like seer, right? Earth. So like seer had a definite different accent from a lot of this the other is people true. that that priest this is true. But he wasn't from Trantor. He is just essentially yeah. running the Synax. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. They're they're keeping the diplomatic channels open. But that's the thing. I, I imagine saying. there are a lot of people doing fucking contract work on Trantor, right? Like there, the, I imagine the diversity of accents and populations on Trantor is just as diverse as the the what we have here in the United States. Um, I, that's my assumption. So I think like the parents having been pulled from Trantor by Harry uh, probably or you know more or less equally distributed among the accent uh, curve and so their children would have different accents too I I don't know I don't see it yeah. as a big problem yeah it doesn't it doesn't wreck my immersion but it's it, it would be nice I guess if they did or if they wanted to build something to a point that they're making like you know but what are you going to do uh, I will say that this is where we have like one more email and some light spoiler discussion of stuff from the official podcast mm-hmm. to the extent that that's a spoiler. Uh, but I do want to let, let people bail if they don't if they want to go in with just virgin eyes uh, for the final uh, three episodes, which I guess I guess uh, eight and ten are real barn burners. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Um, I haven't. I I discipline myself to where I, I do not allow myself to watch the next episode until I'm done recording this feedback episode that's on on fucking Tuesday that comes out on Tuesday just because I don't want to accidentally spoil something. I don't want to, you yeah, know, uh, anyway. So uh, foundation of all If you got some feedback and if, and if you want to avoid spoilers, we'll just see you here Friday or I guess probably late Thursday night. Didn't they give us a curveball this, this week? Yeah, they like released they it at the designated con- time. That's the curveball. Yeah. <laughs> What the hell, man? We're used to getting this a couple hours early, but uh, right. whenever the, the, the show comes out, we will release the podcast. And uh, also, don't forget, if you prefer to watch this on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash bald move has the video at exactly the same time. Uh, so we will see you uh, late Thursday night, early Friday morning with the new episode and foundation of bald move.com is how you get the feedback. And if you're staying here past this, you're comfortable with spoilers. All right. First up, Ryan, have you seen the saga feature at that uh, Apple released on the story of the foundation so far? Um, apparently, uh, no. Apple is trying to do things to kind of like beef up the numbers. And one of the things you can do is like a, a quick recap that you can send to your friends to get them, you know, acclimated huh. to the story. So it is feature. Uh, and there's a one this this went around. Um, you might have seen this if you've if you've been on the Reddit. Because this this went crazy as soon as they released it. There's a a teeny tiny few frames of action at the three minute mark of this saga thing uh, where they show the vault looking like it's open. <laughs> like it's it's no longer together and opaque, but you can see the framework of it and it's translucent and it's like space for it, it's opening. 
Okay. Okay. And it looks like there's some kind of battle raging amongst it and around it. Uh, feels like we're going to get, we're going to get an answer to what's in the box before the end of the season. Um, this could, one of those spoilers. It's not really a spoiler yeah. because what's in the box war. Apparently war is in the box. Uh, but it, there's nothing from the screen to show. It's not like there's a Dr. Manhattan style, 300 foot tall, Harry Selden striding over the battlefield. Um, well, that's the thing in the, so I'm going to do some book spoilers here. Um, in the first book, the first time the vault opens, that there, there is a, I don't know if it's an actual like, Hey, I'm going to shoot you kind of battle, but there is a very fierce political battle going on around the opening of the vault. And the vault just puts the kibosh on all that. It's like, yeah, the vault opens, everybody shuts their fucking mouths and pays attention to what Harry Selden has to say. That could be what, what you're seeing, right? The vault opening as there's war breaking out, but it stops the war. Yeah. I, I don't know. They've again, changed so much. I, it's that been that so long be since it, I've, but. and that's the thing. It's been so long since I've read the books. I, I remember vaguely the first crisis and the political yeah. thing that like revolves and then answering it. But I don't remember exactly, you know, like, like I, I, I think Harry comes out. He's it's holograph of him. He's mm-hmm. in a wheelchair. Yeah. Like, like the, the idea that this wasn't like an AI construct, but him being so next level that he just foresaw the neck, you know, like before he died, he foresaw the challenges and recorded a, a little pep talk for how they can get through it. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we're still, we're still uh, not exactly sure what's in the, 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 the box and, and how it'll be realized in the film or the show. Um, now I want to talk about this thing that kept up that this, this was like a 10, 15 minute conversation. Uh, almost half the full podcast of the official one, it felt like. And this is uh, Goyer and uh, Conception talking about a second foundation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you familiar with the concept of the second foundation? Because I can't remember if they established this in the first book or not. They do not. Um, though through some you know spoiler magic, I have been familiarized a little bit. Like the barest, essentially that right. it exists. And right. have some guesses about how that's going to go in the show. So like, you know, we've we've been talking about like how do you how do you get ahead of the mass of humanity if they can't know that they're being observed? Mm-hmm. Like what happened if they ever figure out that they're being observed? Um also like what would happen if uh, the foundation goes rogue or it stops serving its purpose or, you know, because starts acting in a way that's uh, contrary to the purpose of the foundation. Well, like hobbits and breakfast, you have second foundation. Nice. Which is uh, in the books founded at the opposite end of the galaxy. And is there to essentially silently monitor and observe and keep the first foundation on course. Uh, Yes. And it appears that in Harry's plan, Gale was intended to lead the first foundation and Raish was intended to lead the second foundation, apparently Mm -hmm. from Helicon with the help of the ghost of Harry. I, I, Yes, that that seems very much where they're going with this. Now, this all got switcherooed. Mm-hmm. The switcheroo is not a part of the books. Uh, so like what and and like like Jim said that uh, the second foundation, I thought it was alluded to briefly in the first one, uh, not because mm, I have maybe. knowledge of it, just because I felt like the way people were talking about it. But like it becomes something that's definitely and, and I think the idea that Goyer has from from the official podcast is. It's not that I, Asimov kept 
the second foundation because i think the way it's used in the books is kind of deus ex machina like jesus mm-hmm. christ how are you going to handle the situation right. oh there's this whole other thing that we didn't know about that's going to come in and say uh but the thing is is you know asimov was writing this as a um as a serial yeah uh, as a, a serial anthology you know like a sci-fi magazine right so mm-hmm. like foundation the book didn't exist it was you know 30 40 pages called the psycho historian 30 40 pages called the merchant traders 30 40 pages yeah. called you know so yeah, like it came visions. out like that he's writing as he goes so like that was something that serials you know could get away with that like you know this mm-hmm. late minute reveal because and and but it wasn't like asimov as a term of art like hey i want to save this as a late game reveal so goyer's idea is it'll be more powerful if we lay these tracks in parallel so that every you know play with more of our cards face up yeah. so that everyone can enjoy it and i think that's fine i just think they jumped the gun one podcast maybe more yeah, because I, I i bet in episode eight there's something about lewis talking about the, the jump drives working differently and i bet there is something about gail's mission forming a second foundation oh yeah but it i mean feels i think we're like they got their notes more. mixed up it, right this, yeah. this is like we're just on the cusp of having this information confirmed. Like why is Gail headed here? What was the plan for Raish? Like all this stuff. Yeah. We're not, we're just at the doorstep of that. I think they did jump the gun on this and they, it, it could be a last minute change in the episode. Like maybe they rearranged some scenes and these were pre-recorded yep. or it could just be that, you know, he forgot, Hey, this happens in this episode instead of that episode. And it's been yeah. six months since we filmed that or whatever, so I don't remember. And it's not a gargantuan spoiler because it's not like I was like, uh, it's not like this is something's going to happen in season four. I re- literally think they're going to yeah. lay this this track next. It's just uh, weird mm-hmm. that they got they got the uh, if it does feel like yeah, like either a scene got cut and clipped from the end of this one and moved into the beginning of next one, which you know can happen, or mm-hmm. or they just because uh, that's that's this is the whole reason that I will not watch a sh- the show the next screener. The only reason I haven't watched the the the, the, the entire fucking season is yeah. because I don't want to pull a second foundation <laughs> and, and accidentally reveal something. So exactly. Um, it's weird. I'll, I'll be interested. This one of the questions I'll ask Corey if we come back on is like, were you guys just cool with talking about the second foundation on the official pod or did, did something change at the last minute or? Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. know. That's, we'll that's the other thing. You could just not view it as a huge spoiler. It's like, well, we've laid a bunch of track and you know, we'll just talk about it. Yeah. When, when I used to cover American horror story with Cecily, uh, like Ryan Murphy was infamous for like, just not being a help himself. Mm, like yeah. he's, he's, he's so gleeful about the thing he's about to do that he can't help but talk about it. In the press. So it's like, I felt like the man was always spoiling next week's episode because, uh, he was just so giddy about it. I don't think that's, uh, uh David S. Goyer, but, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, yeah i want to get done with this podcast so i can go watch the next foundation yeah. uh it's the it's the obstacle that's uh, that's insurmountable and, and now it's been surmounted so uh we will do that record the episode and have it out piping fresh for you uh like i said late thursday or early friday morning late thursday night early friday morning foundation at com is how you get us feedback again thank you for everyone that rates and reviews our podcast on itunes or spotify or wherever you're listening to it that is Super helpful of getting us uh, spreading the word. Thank you for everyone who shares our videos and podcasts uh, with the fan communities and on Twitter and social media and that stuff because it all helps and it's it's paying off because like I said, 
our audience is markedly growing week after week as as we're we're being found and the show's catching steam. So thank you. Keep it up. Uh, and we'll see you for the next episode. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>